Hey everyone and welcome. I'm Jason and I'm excited to continue our series called The Game of Life. And last week Chris started this off and certainly shared a great message with us, but he started by saying that life is just like what we experience in board games sometimes, right? And then the game of life, even though it's not so fun in games sometimes, we experience folks that get frustrated, folks that get jealous, folks that want to win, folks that hate losing. I don't know if you're like me. Any board game lovers out there? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. So in life, it's just like what we experience in board games. And what's, what's funny is that last night I came home and even after dinner, I said, hey, listen, guys, after dinner, we're going to do ice cream and Uno. That just sounds good, doesn't it? Thank you. You're welcome. You can take that and just say, ice cream and Uno. So we had ice cream and Uno, and the ice cream fun was part. The Uno part wasn't fun, because when one sibling blames the other one for cheating, all everything breaks loose, right? I mean, it just it went crazy. I'm like, listen, guys, you guys got to get your act together. I'm speaking about this tomorrow, right? I gotta, come on, you got to get your act together. And um, I tell you, games are fun, but games are hard sometimes, too. In fact, when Rachel and I got married... There was one thing that I thought, hey, listen, we don't have kids, right? What are we going to do? Let's play games. Well, I quickly found out that was a bad idea. It was just a bad idea. My sweet little Rachel, I had no idea. Raise your hand if you thought you were confident you knew who you were going to marry when you got married. Everybody's like, I know her, right? Or, I, you know, I know him. I did not have a clue how competitive my wife was. And I thought, this, this isn't going to work. I mean, when she won, she had a walk. And that walk was like a powerful, you know, just a powerful walk, right? And when I won, I, you know, I, I, didn't, help, you know, I didn't brag or anything at all. But just things were good. I quickly found out I, I never want to play against Rachel in any board game. She's really good, first of all. I hate losing. Number two, she's super competitive, and she was good. So from then on, especially when we were in groups, right, I just said, I'm on her team. Well, you're not the captain. I don't care. I'm on her team. Like, I'm a support role, right? We're just not going to play. So that's a compliment to how, how good she is. And I, I don't know if you're like me. Some of you, Chris mentioned last week that he's not competitive, right? Well, I am competitive, right? So I have to just watch this. In fact, I grew up playing, um, you know, a lot of different sports. And uh, church softball league was frustrating to me. Do you know why it's frustrating? I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where you kind of played like a, maybe a church basketball league or a church softball league. Well, I grew up playing in a church softball league, and sometimes it was frustrating because they always, you know, everyone comes to the, you know, towards the pitcher's mound. Both teams kind of get together and say, hey, welcome to such and such field. We're glad that you guys are here. We're just out here to have a good time. I'm like, not me. So years later, when I had the opportunity to coach a, you know, a church softball league, I got everyone together. Hey, guys, welcome. Uh, you know, this is our church. I'm a pastor here on staff. And I grew up in these like church environments where people are like, we're just out here to have a good time. We're just out. I'm like, not me. Listen, guys, you guys are out here to win. We're out here to win, right? But we're going to do so in like a good attitude. And, and, and I thought it was challenging growing up. And people kind of assume, oh, well, you're in a church league. Everybody acts nice. Right? And everyone watch, watches their language. Well, that wasn't the case. I have never played any game and seen any halos, right? And in church softball league, people are like, oh, it's really bad in church softball, right? It's really bad. It's, not, it's, it's no different. People are competitive. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. People are competitive. And when they're competitive, not Rachel, but when they're competitive, they say things they shouldn't say, Right? And we've, we have this experience in these games where it re, we really show who we 
who we are. And life is tough. Life is full of moments that are full of joy. Life is full of moments that are full of competition. Life is full of moments when we win. And life is certainly full of moments when we lose. And how we respond in these environments and in these different challenges says so much about who we are. I love games, but they certainly can be difficult. Sometimes these moments in life can be less serious. Maybe you've had a bad, um, you know, kind of a non-confrontational phone call with customer service. I don't know about you, but I have to hit a pause on my life when I dial any number starting in 1-800, right? Because I'm like, if this person's not in a good mood, I'm not going to be in a good mood, right? And sometimes I feel like telling even folks that are, you know, waiting at your table, you're like, come on, can't you, can't you put a smile on your face, right? And dealing with people is, is, is difficult. And so today we're going to be talking about how do we deal in life with difficult people, Because we will have, and you will have, and you do have difficult moments with difficult people. Now, it's going to be easy in the rest of this message for us to point fingers, because it's always someone else's fault, you know? The reason I'm upset is because he or she is cheating. The reason I'm upset is because of the way they spoke to me, not what they said, but it's the way they spoke to me. The reason I'm upset is because, even though you might not articulate it this way, the reason I'm upset is because I didn't get my way. And there's so much that's out of our control. Sometimes it's a 1-800 phone call. Sometimes it's an interaction across the desk with an employee that you're not getting your way or they're not doing what what you think they should do. And other times, this is more serious than a game. This is more serious than an ice cream and Uno night when things don't go well with siblings. This is serious when someone has wronged you and you don't know how to respond. You know that you have to respond, but you don't know what to say. And there are these difficult moments in life when you know that you have been hurt and you have been challenged or you have been offended. And you're like, how do, what do I say? Or someone that's under your skin and they've been under your skin for 10 years and you still haven't addressed it and said, this bothers me. Sometimes there are, I realize there's a weight on some of your shoulders that you've been carrying for way, 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 way too long. Because life is hard. And life is hard because you have to live it with people, right? You have to live it with people. I mean, from your time right now to when the sun goes down, there's a strong chance that you're going to see and or experience for yourself a negative moment. Something that can suck the life out of you. Something that can make you frustrated. Some of you won't even be able to get to the restaurant before you're frustrated by someone else and the way that they're driving or the way that they're not driving. So personal little rule for me, I get really frustrated because I'm a perfect driver. No one else is. I get really frustrated. So when someone like beeps the horn at me, I'm like, come on, bring it. Just drive right beside me. I give the cheesiest grin I can find. And I think that's kind of sarcastic to them. I don't recommend that. But that's just like, how do we respond? That wasn't a part of my notes, okay? And that's not very helpful for you today. That's not full of hope for you today. That's just what I do. I'm like, ah, I'm so mad at you, right? I don't even know you. I'm so upset. I told the boys last night at dinner before ice cream and uno, I said, guys, daddy tomorrow is talking about kind of dealing with difficult people. And they looked at me. I said, I I want your help. What do you think we should do when we deal with difficult people? And they were kind of quiet. And I was like, maybe dad should respond. I said, punch him in the face. And they were like, really? I said, no, don't do that. (laughs) Just what my dad told me to do. I'll never forget sixth grade telling my dad a story. And and he said, just punch him. Just just punch him. Jesse, stop. My mom saying saying to him, no, you can't do that. 
No, but that's what we feel what we want to do. Those of you that laughed, by the way, you think and feel the same way. Those of you that didn't laugh, you're like, can I really think that way? It's not very Christian, right? Is it? No, it's really not, right? But Jesus deals with difficulty unlike anyone else. There's a reason that more literature today stands in the libraries of the world written on this one man named Jesus because he was different. He was unique. The stories that he told, the way that he interacted, the way that he dealt with insult, the way that he dealt with hardship, the way that he dealt with persecution was unlike anything else. It's unbelievable to me that this book, even that we have recorded that we call the Holy Bible, stands unscathed for hundreds and hundreds of years, written and centered around. Even today we say it's the year of 2018. Why? It's built around this one man named Jesus. And it's incredible as we look into his life and how he dealt with the the difficulty, how he dealt with the persecution, how he dealt with the hardship was unlike any other. Well, one of his followers, his name was Saul, but because of his life transformation, he became known as Paul. And the Apostle Paul writes to the letter, writes a letter called the Book of Romans, but he writes it to Christians that are following Jesus for the first time, and they live in the city of Rome. And he writes to them about how to deal with difficulty. Now, we've been referencing Paul in different ways in different moments of his life recently, but Paul was impressed to write a letter to the Romans shortly before his death. Paul was martyred uh, because of his faith in Christ, and he wrote to a city, again, the book of Romans, to a city where there was a tremendous amount of persecution towards Christians, a tremendous amount of people that were not living in such a way that the Roman government thought they should live. And Christianity turned the world upside down. In fact, within 250 years of when this was written, even a the leader of the known world at that time who was not a Christian even said that Christianity is known as the world's religion because they have taken over. There's this movement happening. And one of the reasons the movement happens through the power of God's story, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the way Christians live. Some of you that have faith in Christ have had moments where you're interacting with someone and someone says something like this. I've heard this and I've heard some of your stories and I've read stories about different interactions like this. When someone looks at you and says you're different, what's unique about you? Even just two weeks ago, someone was dealing with a very, very difficult you know, workplace situation. And I remember hearing the story they told, told someone else that told me this, right? And said that they're known as the Christian in their office. And that's a positive thing, Right? There's some negative things that people can say about people that have faith, but this is positive because that person lives differently, right? Even though they're dealing with difficulty in the workplace, they live differently. If you're a Christian today in a middle school and you say, I have faith in God, you're not, listen, that's hard, right? If you're living out your faith as a teenager, people will see something that's different about you. Well, in the first century, people were beginning to live differently. And I'm going to read a few verses today that tell us how to deal with difficult moments and how to deal with difficult people. And if you do this, the world will take notice. And you're not doing this in such a way that that you want everyone to pat yourself on the back or think that I'm right and you're wrong, because no. Listen, my family, your family, you, me, we all make mistakes. And you are sometimes the reason that other people are experiencing difficulty, and so am I. But in Christianity, this is something that Jesus did, that the Apostle Paul was telling the the, the Christians that lived in Rome at the time, he said, live like this. 
And I got to tell you, before we jump into these few verses, if you do, the world will watch. If you do, the world will take notice of your life. And they will look beyond you and they will know that there's something different about you. And this is hard. The teaching today is hard. It's hard to live out. It's easy to say, you know, that sounds good. How do I do it today? And then the next time I'm faced with a difficulty, the next time I'm faced with a big challenge, how do I respond in such a way that reflects who God is? And you can do that. It's found in the book of Romans chapter 12. The few verses that I want to read starting in verse 17. If you um, have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 12. If you want to look on the app, you can hit uh, Bible and follow along there. Verses 17 and 18 are already loaded in the app for you today. It'll also be on the screen. However, after 17 and 18, I'm going to read a few more verses that will not uh, be in the app, but I'll read a few more today, okay? Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if you read the first, the first verse in verse 17, you read that and say, okay, that sounds, that sounds like common sense, right? Don't repay evil for evil. Why? Because it just gets worse. And I know you're guilty of this. I am too. But something bad happens and we don't respond with good. We respond with bad. Even if you say they deserve it, even if you say, you know, I'm going to make this right, I'm, I'm going to tell them what they need to hear. I'm going to do to them what was done to me, right? Or I'm going to give them what they deserve. And listen, every time you do that, it does not turn out well. Am I right? Yes? You with me? It doesn't matter if they deserve it. It doesn't matter if you think you're right. It doesn't matter if you took a vote and there was a quorum on and someone said, yeah, they deserve it. Go. It doesn't turn out well. And the Apostle Paul tells people that have faith in Christ, do not repay evil for evil. And just changing the word, it's not just the evil. And this word evil literally means anything that is done that is not pleasing to God. So in other words, you could say bad or wrong, right? Don't, when something bad happens to you, don't pay bad back, right? Just don't, don't respond with something else that's bad. Now, in some ways, you say, that's common sense, in other ways, it ain't so common, is it? Because there's something emotionally that happens inside of you and I when we are wrong. And what do you want to do? I kind of want to ask a rhetorical question, but I kind of want you to respond. But this isn't a classroom, right? But what do you do? You want them to feel hurt, don't you? You just want to give it right back to them because that's what they deserve. And it doesn't work out that way, does it? It doesn't. It just doesn't work. And so he says, listen, do not Repay evil for evil. And then he says, do what's right. Well, what's right? Here's the challenge of that. Well, how do we do what's right? Do everything you can to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. So God has a, a system, a, a way of living, and we read about it in the Bible. Well, how do I live? How do I respond? 
right? When someone communicates something they shouldn't or, or someone wrongs me, what do I do? I want to do what's right. But the challenge, even today, you have scenarios that are kind of in your mind, and I, I do too. In some ways, you say, I don't know what's right. I hear you, but I just don't know what's right, especially in the moment. I tend to rise up pretty quick emotionally. And sometimes when I am in the moment, I don't think straight, right? After the scenario, after the conversation, after the interaction, or after the drive home, you realize, ah, if I could do it over again, right? Then I would do what's right because I have time to think about it. And then in in these few verses, we're not going to spend a ton of time in verses 19 and 20, but we see something powerful that in life groups this week, we're going to talk about. So the life group portion, we'll kind of jump into a little bit more on verses 19 and 20. And so for, for some of you are in a life group. We have opportunities even in the app for you to sign up for a life group. These are homes, groups that meet some here, some that meet in different homes around our communities that simply get together hang out, have a good time, spend time together, and then they take the next step from this message. And so even life groups are going to jump into this a little bit more, verses 19 and 20. If we can maybe even put 19 back up, um, back up there on the screen as well. Do not take revenge. So it's, like, so it's like repeating himself, right? Paul says, don't take revenge, right? I just said don't, don't pay bad for bad. That's a little bit different than revenge. This is kind of building on it. Revenge is to set someone straight, like to, or to make it equal to. He says, leave room for God's wrath. And then he quotes when God says, and God's quoted throughout the scripture, it is mine to avenge. That's an interesting thing for Christians to know and to, and to remember in this faith. And as we look at the scripture, don't try to make things right because there's only one who can fully make things right. And God is quoted here. Paul quotes God and says, it's mine to avenge. I will set things all right. Some of the things that you know that are big, these aren't like customer service things that God's going to set straight on Monday, right? These are big things that you realize, like, that's wrong. That shouldn't happen. Now, I know we have a judicial system. If someone breaks the law and commits a a law against you or commits a, a, a crime or a sin against you, don't just say, well, God will take care of it. No, call the cops, right? Deal with the situation. This isn't a kind of a, a hook out or an excuse to not deal with wrong. But what this is a reminder is that you can't set things right. And that's, I don't know if that's discouraging to you or encouraging, but to me, there's a little bit of both. There's a little bit of both that says, I'm encouraged to say, you know what? God pays attention to the wrong. God sees the wrong and he is a just God that there will be consequences, even though I know you want to be the one to enforce those consequences because you have a long long list. So does everyone, a kind of a list of things that have been done or things that you've seen or things that have been done to you that you want to make right? And we learn throughout Scripture, not just here in Romans, that, that God reminds people that He knows and that He sees and that He will make things just. If you forget that, It's easy to grab the reins of control and try to make things right. And when people do that, it often ends in more hurt than what we began with. So again, I hope you hear and see that tension that I live with. I hope you hear and see that tension. If you're wronged, deal with it. If someone says something that's hurtful to you, you have full permission to say that's hurtful to me, right? To deal with it. And there are ways to deal with it. So this isn't like a, well, forget about it, sweep it under the rug. In fact, I'm blown away as a pastor. Some of the stories that I hear of things that have been swept under the rug because they just say, you know what? That's, 
That's in the past. I'm like, yeah, did you ever deal with that? Did you ever call the cops on that? No. Sometimes that's for, for embarrassment. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want their family to be embarrassed. Some of the stuff that people, that people forget about and don't deal with, it's crazy. Like deal with it. Try to deal with it, right? But just remember when you deal with it in the wrong way, it just gets worse. It just gets worse, right? And then finally, he says, respond with goodness, right? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The truth is, is that some of you are overcome with evil, like verse 21 says. And you're overcome by all the bad things. You're overcome by the things that are happening around you. Some of you, I mean, I don't know your personality emotionally, but some of you just can watch the news for 20 minutes and go, I got to change the channel, right? It's just so discouraging, right? Hit the phone, hit the app, your, your app news of, your, uh, of choice, right? Just pull it up and just start reading. And you're like, man, this just stinks, Everything I'm seeing, everything I'm reading, even the positive things, someone jumps all over it, right? You know, and so I'm reading even just contextually when we deal with the things that are happening in Washington, we deal with the things that are happening in our neighborhood, in our communities, it seems that there's no peace, right? And we can be overcome by these things. And forget about everything that's happening outside, just the things that some of you are dealing with, you're overcome. And Paul says, do not be overcome with those things, now, it's easy for us to say, do not be overcome, because we get weary, we get frustrated, and those are three different responses, right? And we lose hope. Number one, you get weary. Anybody weary? You're just tired of dealing with it? And that often leads to number two, you get frustrated, you're frustrated by the things that are happening, and then finally, you lose hope. And in that order, when we get to the lose hope side, that's when, when we're setting ourselves up for danger. We're setting ourselves up to deal with things like overcoming, not overcoming the, the struggle, we're, dealing, we're setting ourselves up for, for not just not overlooking it, but we're setting ourselves up for depression. We're setting ourselves up for being super frustrated, which often leads to bitterness. Often when I hear of people not speaking with their own families, and you start listening, you start asking questions, you know what it all boils down back to? Moments of hurt that were not dealt with. You're tired of it. You're frustrated. So it's easier. You've heard the, uh, the kind of the expression fight or flight. Any, uh, who's got a fighting personality? You have, a, you have a, a struggle. Who's got a fighting personality? Anybody raise your hand. Okay, so good man. How, how many people have a flight personality? You're just like, whatever, I, I ain't dealing with this. Uh, see you later. Have fun, right? Okay, both can be bad, right? That's a personality tendency, right? Both can be bad. But we have to deal with the situation. If not, sometimes years of bitterness, Years of not speaking to people, right? It's just so crazy that we, ha we have to deal with it, but it's not crazy because it's hard. And when it's hard, you have, a, you have a response to life being hard, which is to do what? What does a turtle do when a turtle feels attacked? Anybody? It goes into a shell, right? I just saw body language. Yeah, that's it. And that's kind of what we all do. Like I kind of peripheral caught that. Yeah, someone answered the question by showing me. That's what a turtle does. That's absolutely what a turtle does, right? We go into protect mode. Now, even if you have a fight personality, you go into protect mode. You know what some people do in fighting? I know what you're saying to me, but let me tell you why you're wrong, right? And that's protecting the shell. We're all guilty of it, right? And I have a fighting personality. We first got married. Rachel's like, I'm just going to bed. We can talk about it tomorrow. I'm like, tomorrow? No, we got to talk about it tonight. Come on, what's this? there's not much to talk about, right? There's not much to talk about. Let's just talk I'm going to bed, right? We'll talk about it tomorrow. I wish I would have listened to that advice, by the way. 
Um, more than I more than I have, especially early on, right? But we have a, a fight or a flight personality. Both can be bad, right? Because we deal with difficult moments with difficult people, and it's hard. But three things that I want you to walk away with, and so I'd love for you to just either write these down, take a note, think about these this week. But number one is this. How do we come over? The question is, how do we overcome evil with good? Number one is this. Proceed with caution and patience. What's interesting, well, this is going to be on the screen for a little while for us, okay? But what's interesting is what Paul says to the Romans when he says in verse 17, when he tells people to be cautious, right? And specifically, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be what? Careful. Literally, that word means to slow down, right? Because we're going, and all of a sudden we have a moment, and the advice from the Scripture, the the advice right here out of the Bible in Romans 12 is to slow down. Now, I'm sure you're like me. That's good advice, isn't it? Because if you don't slow down, you go too fast. And if you go too fast, you make too many errors. There's a, a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, the speech of a fool comes when there are many words. That's me, right? The more we talk, the more we mess up. The less I talk, the more I protect myself, right? So the speech of a fool comes when there are many words. And so there's a lot of Proverbs that say this too. Stop talking so much. You won't mess up so much. And this is, hey, listen, proceed with caution and patience. And so I don't know what that looks like for you, but this week, today, and sometimes it might be in traffic, you literally just say, fine, just go on around me, right? I'm not going to play a game with you on the road, on the highway, right? Slow down when you're frustrated with someone that you care about in your family, when you're frustrated with a child, when you're frustrated with a, with a spouse. It's good to just do this. That of which I need to do myself. Hit, hit a pause, back up, right? And just go slowly. Um, I'm a quick thinker. And so when you ask a question, I don't have to think very long before I respond. And it doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean it's an educated response. It doesn't, I'm not trying to say that it's going to be the right answer. But some of you have my personality where someone asks a question and, and you're kind of already answering it before they finish the question. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about it. Right? That is my personality. Some of you think and like to process. And even so, you hear a lot of people say that now. Maybe in your workplace you say that, in your family, give me some time to think through that. Give me some time to process. I'm going to put my thoughts together. And I don't really do that well, right? Because I just have my thoughts already collected, and you ask, and I respond. If you're like me, it's time to, to, to do this. And it's time to not to just hit a pause, but this is a moment where you can do number two. Pray for wisdom before responding. He says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In order to do that, you have to walk in wisdom. And this series is really not just about life and what we experience in life, but it's how to gain wisdom from it. And so that's what we talked about last week. We're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks. Well, how do you gain wisdom? Last week, we looked at the life of Solomon. When asked by God, what did you want, Solomon What's your request? Solomon asked for wisdom. And he was given wisdom because he asked. He said, you didn't ask for wealth. You didn't ask for riches. You asked for wisdom, and he gave it to him. You can't do that unless you slow down and seek it out. It's impossible. It's impossible for you fight mentality, me, 
quick-witted thinkers, me, it is impossible for me. I am set up for danger in the midst of a struggle when I quickly respond, right? And some of you, I even see heads shaking. Some of you are like, yeah, it's, yeah, 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 it's me, right? It's me. I got the answers before you ask the question, right? You're set up for danger. And by the way, slow processors, you know, we all have different personalities. Some, the other side of that is just not dealing with it, Right? They're just not dealing with it. And you think, oh, it's fine. And I have found this to be true. Sometimes the next day, it's not as important, right? It just kind of, you, you, and that's a good thing, by the way. Even there's a powerful proverb that said, it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. That's great advice. So in colloquial language, I used to hear this in, in the world of teaching. I got my education music um, degree uh, for teaching before going into uh, seminary. And I remember a teacher always saying this, and I've heard a million times since, and he said, a good teacher has a fast pace in the classroom and picks his or her battles. That was the two mantras of this teacher. It was good advice, right? And it was, it was good advice, but on the other side of that, there's some of that where we can excuse to not deal with what needs to be dealt with. So there's the sin of rushing into it, and then there's the sin of not dealing with it. But number one, you got to slow down. you got to hit the pause button. you, you got to call time out. And you can pray for wisdom. Why? Solomon did this. And he was given wisdom. You say, God, this is a hard thing for me. I need your help. Even before coming on stage today, I realized that I have a big responsibility to communicate what God says. That's a big responsibility. And so what do I do around this little corner? I just pray that God give me wisdom. I pray that every word, the way that I frame, the way I tell stories, the way that I connect, I, I want God's help to do this. If I hit pause, and if you hit pause and call time out in your life and back up and say, God, I need wisdom before I respond. May you help me to craft the way, the way I say things, not just what I say. Would you give me wisdom in choosing the right words at the right time? Would you give me the ability and the patience also to say, you know what, I'm not in a good state of mind. Let's just talk about this tomorrow. Let's just talk about this tomorrow. And that's probably good wisdom for you. If you think you need to wait, you probably do. Right? Number three is this. Respond with acts of goodness. This is when the world turns their head. This is when someone says, you're different. What's the deal? Right? This is when the world comes and notices that the way that you live is not normal. And for some of you that say, you know, I want to live out that Christian faith. I want to live out my beliefs. I want to do good to people that I don't know. Just a few weeks ago at our egg drop, we had uh, right around 2,500 people that attend from all over the greater Boston area, some from Rhode Island and Connecticut, right? Um, so the people are driving in, uh, a good many locals that, are, that live really close, but so many that drive in too. We had folks that just almost insisted like, no, no, why, why, are, you, why are you guys doing this? This is amazing. They want to pay you for it, right? They're just encouraged and blown away by a church that will want to do something in the community, right? And some people... Some people can look at that and go, well, that's great. There's a lot of nonprofits, which is true. There are a lot of nonprofits. They exist to serve and do good in the community. So Encounter Church is not absolutely unique. But in some people's like schema, their mind, the way that they think, they, they're so blown away by a church that wants to do something in the community simply to communicate love. Now, I say that to celebrate what you are and who we are as a church. But I say that to encourage you, the way that you live your life, the way that you speak to people, right? The way that you love people, the way that you meet needs of people that you don't even know, 
We have an opportunity today, today, to make a difference in the lives of people because of what we do for them, even when they don't deserve it. Now, this sounds easy when you like meet a need from a stranger, but the hard part is responding to those that hurt you with this. That's the hard part, right? How do we respond to moments of hurt and pain and frustration in a way that brings God the proper attention that he deserves? And this isn't what we do in the community. This isn't about Encounter Church. You know who it's about? It's about a God who loves the world. Now, we don't go into that real hard at the egg drop. Let me tell you why we do this, right? We love our community is what we do say, right? And we believe that God loves you. But the truth is, the reason we are who we are is because there is a God who loves me. And there's a God who loves you. And we believe God loves every single person that lives in Dedham. Every single person. We believe God loves every single person that lives in Westwood. In your town, fill in the blank. Every single person. And when Christians show that goodness... And when they show that grace, when they meet needs, and especially to the folks who cut them off in traffic, especially to the customer service representative that might have happened to me three days ago, they hung up the phone without even saying goodbye. I mean, listen, I don't know you. You don't have to tell me goodbye, but you could just tell they didn't like their job. They were like, all right, have a good day. Right? I'm like, come on, you don't like your job. Do, you do, do the world a favor. Find one that you do like, right? And so sometimes we want to respond in such a way that that makes them get what they deserve. But Paul is saying, don't do that. There's a just God who can watch over the world, and he's doing, just a, he's, he's doing exactly the job he needs to do to watch over the world. Your responsibility is to love. Your responsibility is to overcome the evil with good. What I love about what happens in the world when tragedy strikes I love to see the world respond with goodness. I love it. It's encouraging. You hate the stories when we reflect back on moments in our history that are tough. You hate to see the stories like 9-11. You hate to see the the, the tragedies of floods and hurricanes and even the the story of a tragic um, family that a house that burned down to the ground in Westwood months ago, one in Dedham a few months ago, right? These sad stories about people losing loved ones and also losing their belongings and, and having to shift their life. But what, hop, what happens when the church, and not just in the church, but specifically Christians can step up to the plate and can love and to meet needs. And today you can do that at the restaurant. You can do that on the way home. Ultimately, the one who ever overcame evil with good was Jesus. In the face of adversity, Jesus persevered. In the face of being ridiculed, Jesus stayed silent, which is unbelievable to me. He didn't always stay silent, but in moments when he was being ridiculed, he stayed silent. And even in the moments of spending time with people that Jews would typically not spend time with, what did he do? He traveled to their city. So let's say you Dedham folks don't like to hang out with those Westwood folks. Well, guess what Jesus did as a Dedhamite? He spent time in Westwood. Jesus, by the way, that was an illustration if you live in Westwood, right? Um, just an illustration, just for story purposes. Thank you. We were in Westwood too. This church is in Westwood, Massachusetts, right? Jesus spent time with people that no one, think, no one thought he should have. 
Ultimately, when Jesus overcame evil, it was when he died on the cross. We just celebrated Easter. We told the story of Jesus giving his life and dying on a cross. And what, Jesus, what did Jesus do by giving his, his life and dying on a cross? He offered the forgiveness of sins that anyone who would believe in him could have eternal life. And in Jesus offering that eternal life to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl, anyone who would see their sin and acknowledge that Jesus loves them, ask for forgiveness of sins and follow him, could have eternal life. Ultimately, Jesus overcame that by dying on the cross and by rising again from the dead. This is who Jesus is. And this is coming from a life who lived it out, but who also offered it. And Jesus, on the cross, it's quoted in several of the Gospels, even on the cross, one of the last things that we have before Jesus died is Jesus speaking to God, the Father in heaven, saying, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. Like, forgive them. They just mocked you. They just ridiculed you. They, they spit in your face. They gave you a crown of thorns in a way that made fun of you because you claimed to be a king, right? They didn't give him a crown of gold. They gave him a crown of thorns. And Jesus looked beyond that evil and with good gave his own life. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When I look at the life of Jesus, I think I do want to follow in those footsteps, but that's hard, isn't it? But I think it starts with exactly what Paul said today with these three things that we talked about. That it's possible for us to overcome evil with good, but it's not possible if we take matters into our own hands. It's not possible if we react quickly. And it's not possible if we think that it's our responsibility to set them straight. But it is possible when we slow down. It is possible when we pray for wisdom. And it is possible when you choose to do good in people's lives that don't deserve it. The world will take notice and they will look beyond you. And ultimately, they will see God. Let's pray.